Listening to the Secret Life of Tech with Eric Anktil. I want to talk about uh, my experience in selling drugs and how the internet helps you that. Hello, humans, and welcome to the Secret Life of Tech. I'm Eric Anktil. Have you ever wondered how illegal drugs make their way from wherever they're produced in the world into the hands of ordinary people in the United States? Let's consider it together, and let's consider what fascinates me the most in all of it, which is how drug dealers use technology at every stage of the drug selling process, and how technology on a broad scale has made the illegal drug trade an international multi-billion dollar industry. Technology has been used to sell illegal drugs for almost as long as drugs have been illegal. From the early days of the emerging telephone network service to the use of street corner payphones to dealers carrying pagers and eventually mobile phones and burner phones and using apps like Snapchat and Instagram and others to reach their customers. It's crazy how much technology is infused in the illegal drug trade. Even something as simple as a phone call or text message represents the final step in the secret journey of getting ecstasy from a manufacturer all the way in the Netherlands into the hands of a music festival goer on a summer evening in anywhere USA. Drug dealing and the drug trade has evolved right alongside emerging technologies and will continue to do so into the future. Phones, and eventually pagers, dominated drug dealing from its earliest days and into the 1990s. The mid-2000s gave rise to the dark web and cryptocurrency followed shortly thereafter. The power and promise of anonymity and privacy with the popularization of encryption and communication apps like WhatsApp and Signal and Telegram have given new rise to what it means to use technology to leverage sales completely in the dark. On today's show, I interview Marcus, who is using a pseudonym and whose voice I have altered by request. He is a retired drug dealer who took advantage of every bit of technology available to sell all kinds of drugs from pot to MDMA, also known as ecstasy. He started selling in high school to fund his own smoking habit, and it was something he continued in a college and into his life as a young professional in the world of legitimate work. Marcus used social media to find customers, the dark web to buy from overseas, and cryptocurrency to make it all happen. If a technology was available to help Marcus move more product and evade the feds at the same time, he was likely using it. 
Joining me in my interview with Marcus is my co-producer, Dagny Bataglino. You will hear her asking questions and joining our conversation throughout as we get to know the secret life of tech as it's being used to buy and sell drugs down on Main Street and all over the world. One last note, and something that really stood out to Dagny and me, is how much care Marcus put into being the safest drug dealer he could be. He religiously tested everything he ever bought or sold, and he intentionally avoided selling to young people. His honor code as your friendly neighborhood drug dealer shines throughout. Marcus, welcome to The Secret Life of Tech. Can you start out by telling us a little about yourself? How old are you, and what was your childhood like? Um, around 23 years old. My, my upbringing was a, a pretty typical one, I, I, I think. Um, both, my, both my parents were in the picture. Both of them sweet people, uh, good people. I mean, neither of them know about my business or anything that I did uh, with regards to selling drugs. But uh, yeah, good friends. Lots of extracurricular activities, I guess. It's not every day that you get to meet somebody who's a drug dealer unless you're somebody who's probably buying drugs. And so I remember in college meeting people who would smell, sell pot on the side or those kinds of things, but I've never really gotten that into kind of the drug culture. Where did it begin for you? Well, for me, it started more as a, um, more something that I started off by wanting to smoke myself, um, but keeping up the hobby was a little bit too expensive. So I started off small just by uh, selling to friends, uh, people who I was close with, people I'd smoke with. Um, not really to make money or do anything with it, but um, more to be able to keep the habit going, I guess. Um, but as time went, as time went on, my needs, my need for money kind of grew, and so um, I started to sell more and more to help keep up with that. And how old were you when you started realizing that you could probably start making more money than than you needed just to keep your own um, usage going um, and realize, hey, I could probably be actually making real money on this? Maybe more around uh, 20 years old. Maybe 19. When did you start selling? I started selling in high school probably when I was around 16 years old. Um, yeah, that was whenever I started pretty small. I took a break whenever I, I took a break close to the end of high school, so maybe around 18 years old, picked it back up around uh, around a year later. And then that's when I started to realize I could make more money doing it. And who were you like buying these drugs from in the first place that you were then buying more from to resell? Initially, I started off by, um, I guess just my local high school drug dealer, um, to put it simply, uh, cool guy. I like him. But um, since then, uh, I moved away for college. And then my dealer changed. And my dealer was, I hopped around a lot. So, because uh, different dealers offer different prices, but our price points come from different people. Um, and I don't know. At, at some point, I was buying from a guy who, not confirmed, but I'm pretty sure he. He worked with uh, some gang members, some unsavory people. Technology has a long history in helping people sell drugs. It goes back to things like pagers and people using payphones and now mobile phones. Um, do you, when did when did it or how did technology start for you in terms of realizing that the tech was helping you in your trade? 
Um, I'd say that whenever I first started, Snapchat was um, obviously my go-to Snapchat uh, since it deletes your messages as you go along. Um, you could kind of reach a whole audience of people right away without any kind of, without anything kind of sticking. And if someone does take a picture to um, send a message without you, without your permission, you tend to know about it. So that's uh, where it kind of started. And then I know some, some people I knew uh, were buying off the internet, uh, off the dark web, and the prices there were insanely cheap. So that allowed for, um, you know, just to be able to buy, buy and sell more, um, way more, uh, typically like quicker too, because you have lower prices. Using the dark web like that, is it? Are you taking it on faith that you're going to get the your supply when you buy something? And there's no, you know, it's it's it feels like to me from kind of popular movies and just my sense of kind of the the culture of this is in the olden days or maybe even today, if you were buying drugs from someone and they didn't deliver for you, that's when it was helpful to be part of a gang, or that's when it was helpful to be part of a kind of mafia style organization that could go and secure your product that you paid for. But when you're using the dark web for something like this, is it a leap of faith when it when you you know hit send on that purchase order, or what does that look like? How does how does a person go about buying you know wholesale, high volume amounts of drugs and then selling them? Honestly, it is is usually a leap of faith, but with some of the bigger stores, um, the more reputable ones, because there are reputations for certain websites, and you can find. Um, like inventories of all of them. And I myself didn't go on any of these websites. I paid someone else to do it for me um, because he knew significantly more about the internet than I did. Um, he taught me the most of the process. I, I'm not as good with technology as he is, but he was able to be quite helpful for me. Um, but usually for those for the websites like that, it's, um, it's, it's, it's uh, we refer to it as uh, Amazon for drugs. And you could get reviews for your, um, you get reviews for what you bought ahead of time. There's different sellers. Up to, I guess it's more like uh, eBay than Amazon, but you get reviews for your, um, for your dealer, for the drugs that they sent you, um, how, long it took to, how long it took to get there, uh, if there were any problems with uh, police on the way there, because different, uh, different locations that things were being shipped from often have... Um, different restrictions. So like if your package is coming from the Netherlands, it's more likely to be stopped than um, I guess a package coming from England. And you're, these are actually getting like shipped, like in a, through the UPS. Yeah. Uh, there were multiple times where um, I'd be waiting by the door, uh, like, like uh, I don't know, I felt like a, like a puppy, uh, waiting for the uh, USPS people to come by and drop off the package in my mailbox and uh, I checked my mail religiously during those during those times while I was waiting. And what kind of um, like what kind of volume are we talking about? Were you were you expecting a hundred dollar payload, a thousand dollar payload, a fifty thousand dollar payload? Like, what does this look like? That changed very drastically uh, over the time that I was uh, selling it. It usually depended on um, around what time it was, like around what time of year it was, because if it's festival season, people tend to want Molly. Uh, we intended to be someone, something that people wanted year round. Um, acid and shroom, acid and shrooms tended to be something people want during spring. And so, uh, as the demand changed, I'd, I'd t- I tried to keep a small inventory of everything. 
um, aside from weed, weed was something that was a constant. So I'd probably, buy, I'd probably say I bought around maybe a thousand to five thousand dollars worth of drugs at a time. And and how often would you do that? Like in a in a month or a year? Um, I'd say I was waiting on these uh, shipments probably um, once every other month. So we're talking about uh, in a year, anywhere from twelve thousand to about thirty thousand dollars of kind of wholesale costs for you as product comes in. With that, what kind of margins um, were there? I imagine the margins were different depending on what drug we're talking about. But what might you expect in terms of gross sales if you had like $30,000 in product in one year? What might be your your gross volume sales on that? That's one of the things that also changes wildly uh, because, I mean, it depends. If someone wants to buy a quarter pound of weed uh, from me, that would I could sell that probably for around a thousand dollars and still make a profit doing it. Um, again, actually a huge profit doing it, depending on um, what it is I bought. And the only problem for me was um, since I tended to buy such high quantities of so many different things. If I bought a thousand dollars worth of um, uh, MDMA, I could probably. What's MDMA for the people that weren't drug dealers in high school? Of course, um, uh, S- SSC, um, Molly. Uh, those are all other common names for it. It's a, uh, it's a, it's my personal favorite, but um, it's the one that you see at raves a lot. So that one, that one was my favorites. So, so if you bought a thousand dollars worth of that on the dark web, you might sell it for how much? Um, if I was selling it to people like directly, I probably could have made. You could probably sell it for around fifteen thousand dollars, assuming you were selling it directly to directly at street level by yourself. Wow. Okay, I wasn't expecting you to say that much. I know. That's also uh, that's assuming you're selling for around uh, fifteen a point, which is a pretty common price, at least here. Um, but if you're selling it wholesale, obviously it's going to be a lot cheaper. So realistically, you'd probably make around seven to eight thousand dollars. And is it safer for you to sell it wholesale like that and to just unload product because you have? fewer interactions with people who might get you in trouble at some point is that am i right in my kind of thinking that that could be a thing or you know what are the advantages to selling wholesale what are the advantages selling direct it's safer in a way um i'd say it's safer i don't know i'd say it's safer uh because i i I personally did a mix of both um because if you sell it directly you're making higher profit margins uh because you can sell each you can sell each individual um, pill by itself, but it, it, you, you can charge more for it. But so at wholesale, you, if you're selling to someone new who doesn't have any kind of reputation with people who you know, obviously that one could be, that person could be a police officer. It could be um, someone who doesn't want to pay. Um, meeting with someone is always a risk, no, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. Like, even if it's someone who you know, there's, there's always a risk in there. I liked selling wholesale because it means you could get rid of things quicker. You'd see large sums of money immediately and you didn't have to wait the long while to get the returns. And when you were buying these, these, this wholesale product on the dark web in an eBay, Amazon like environment, how were you paying for it? Uh, with Bitcoin. Okay. And so what do you, what is your sense of, of how Bitcoin has changed the drug trade? Uh, Bitcoin was. Uh, Bitcoin allowed for, for uh, things to be sent pretty much everywhere, because um, I can send, all of a sudden rather than having to go to go down to um, meet my local drug dealer with cash, all of a sudden I can send um, 
I can be in uh, Texas and all of a sudden someone in Norway gets my um, gets my money. And uh, it allows, I don't know, because I don't know, the restrictions over there are different for certain drugs. And so um, they're, uh, it just made it so much easier. Whenever before, I, whenever I'm not buying the dark web, uh, some drug dealers that I had uh, that just who I people people who I liked and I want to maintain relationships with. A couple of times, I had to hold on to Bitcoin a, lot, a little bit longer than expected, and I could make or lose money just by holding it for those few days. Uh, it took them to get back to me um, to uh, do whatever because transferring it from cash to Bitcoin took a little while. So I couldn't, once I had it in Bitcoin, I couldn't switch it back and then move it back again. So it tended to be one of the things I had to hold on to. And I remember once I think I had $1,000 in Bitcoin and then my dealer didn't respond for two days. And all of a sudden I had um, like $1,600 in my account in, uh, in my account uh, as opposed to the thousand I put in. So having to wait for your drug dealer suddenly became part of the how much money do I have to put in and hold on to to wait for him to actually respond? Because it, it varied wildly. Going back just for a second, so the the person that you brought in to be kind of a technical advisor for you, or was doing kind of the, some of the tech work, um, how much were you paying that person? Um, I wouldn't pay him a portion of. I pay him a portion of um, of the of how much I spent. I think it was around like eight to twelve percent usually. Uh, that that also just kind of changed depending on how much I was uh, how much I was spending. And how did you learn that this person was tech savvy in a way that you weren't, and and had some skills that you needed? Uh, he was one of the people who um, bought for me. Uh, he bought for me, and then I was like, I I was uh, he came over, and I was talking to him for a little while because um, I, I liked to I, I liked to uh, people who I was selling to I like to keep them in the house for a little bit longer. Just because if people are coming in and out all day, uh, the neighbors that'll become a problem. Uh, so that so he'd come in, he'd stay in the house for a little while. Um, we talk, and uh, I found out he was really good with computers. He'd done this for someone uh, before. Um, I think it was it wasn't a consistent thing like it was for me, but uh, he did it a couple times, and things became so much cheaper for me. And so. I sold him things that like a uh, with no markup, like things that he wouldn't have bought for himself. Um, I sold them to him at like at cost. It was it was it was interesting. And when you were talking about about Snapchat, you were saying that that it was that you think is it a pretty common thing for people to advertise and find customers through Snapchat? And what does that solicitation look like? Is it an unsolicited approach from a drug dealer, or is it something that that you knew people and so you were advertising to them in some way? What does that look like? Personally, I am not a very trusting person all the time, um, especially in college. I had people add me on Snapchat who were friends of one other person who I knew, and they'd say, oh, I'm this drug dealer. I have this, this, and this available for um, for you to buy, sell, whatever. And it was, I, I, I don't know, I don't trust that just because I don't, I try to avoid interactions with random strangers, people who uh, didn't know that I was a drug dealer myself. Um, cause I did still try to keep it hidden that I could have someone have still have a, have normal interactions with people who weren't necessarily involved in doing or doing, buying, selling, whatever with drugs. Um, but Snapchat, it can be unsolicited. I don't trust those that come to be unsolicited. And I figure that most people 
do the same. You're not going to, if you have a reliable drug dealer, you're not going to all of a sudden jump ship with that one person that you built up this relationship with for the past X, however many months, years to go be, to go get a $2 discount on whatever it is you need. Um, so for me, I would have my customer base, I would add them to a private story and then um, just advertise to them on there. So it's kind of like whatever I had was constantly being, was uh, constantly posted up on my story. Um, or on my on my private story, and they'd be able to buy and uh, buy it through there. Just tell me how much you need when you need to buy, um, and I'll see if I can have if I can get it to you before um, that time. Because I know that drug dealers have a really bad reputation of always being late. Uh, I don't know. I tried to change that as much as I could. I, I do also have things that I do outside. I did have things I did outside of drug dealing. And so, were these people local to you? Were they all over the place? You know, Snapchat has a, a global reach potentially. So what does it look like? I tried to stay away from shipping things personally, just because that comes with its own set of risks. Um, you don't, because you, uh, you can, you can, I know a lot of drug dealers will vacuum seal um, their product and then ship it to you. It helps keep the smell in. Uh, I've done, I've had it. That's how things were shipped to me. And uh, it works out really well most of the time, but for the times where it doesn't, it just really doesn't work. And so I, I stayed away from it, but I knew people who did. And some people who bought from me would ship things back to um, wherever they were from, especially since I was in college at the time. They could, um, they'd buy things from me, they'd vacuum seal it and ship it back home, ship it to like their friends who weren't there and do whatever with it. But I tried to stay local. I did travel quite a bit. Uh, I'd go from, um, I, I traveled a couple different places in uh, Houston, uh, not Houston, around, um, around Texas, kind of sell to different people who I knew there. And that was interesting because I saw people who sold in those areas. So that was uh, really convenient. Will you describe a little bit? I know that you were talking about things being vacuum sealed. And if you were vacuum sealing something and then shipping it off, what does that process look like? I'm just thinking of the technologies that are at work here for vacuum sealing, for preparing a package for shipment. How do you conceal the drugs, do you have a special way that you package them beyond the vacuum sealing? Is it is there something that you do with the labels? Is there anything you do with the, the tape or the box or, you know what I mean, the kinds of things that, that uh, help conceal and cover your tracks on something like this? Yeah, of course. I had one person who uh, uh, shipped things to me and the name would be... Uh, he'd make up the first name and then the last name would be the same, same last name that I have. Um, that was whenever it shipped because packages from or from relatives are less likely to be stopped, um, stopped and or checked. So uh, it's easier to get things through any kind of security um, or uh, get things through without being checked if you have um, someone who's, uh, you, you get the same last name on there. Someone who I knew uh, from home shipped it to me in uh, at college and like they wrote me a note and this was uh, acid so it was sent in a card um and they like wrote oh from mom to uh, uh to me and it was um like inside it was like a birthday card that way if it was opened it was uh it would be legitimate it's like oh here's your birthday gift and uh and they had like they had it wrapped inside of a no- inside of a, like a note that was in there so that was really that was actually really funny um I knew a guy who would send it in a wine bottle. Um, I don't know how he got it re- how he got it reported afterwards, but um, he 
would put the put the pills inside of um, inside of the bottles and just uh, ship those uh, that way. If it was stopped, it was opened. It was people looked at it. It'd be like, oh, he's just shipping uh, wine, uh, and it wouldn't get it wouldn't be flagged, or at least at the very least, it wouldn't be um, uh, stopped and searched. Because uh, you do get a, if you do get a I believe it's a yellow slip or a pink slip I don't remember which I think it's a yellow one. Um, if you do get one of those in the mail, your package is gone. You, you don't you're not getting that back. But they're not going to come after you on it. You just don't see it anymore. No, oftentimes you they won't come after you for it. Um, if because it's it's I think for them it's difficult to prove that it you ordered it with intent uh, because someone can always have the wrong name or ship something to you in the mail without. Um, without you being aware that it's being sent to you. So I think it's for them, it's difficult to prove that, uh, that you, that you were the one who ordered it and, uh, you knew what you were ordering. So for the, on the risk side, it's riskier to ship something than it is to receive it. Uh, yes, because then you're the one who's, uh, whose name was on the package and your name's not necessarily on the package, but if it does get stopped and it can be, tra- if it can be traced back to you, it, it will. And, uh, you need to, uh, I don't know. You're you're kind of screwed there because I mean, if you're if you're receiving things, the biggest risk to you is just that the person you sent money to isn't going to ship whatever it is they said they would. But if you're if the police were to uh, seize your package, you're you tend to be fine, but your dealer is the one who is uh, going to be freaking out. So. And did you? I'm I'm assuming you must have gotten some yellow slips. Actually, I never did. I, I got lucky. Um, I knew some people who did. And for them, it's always that. That's always a, a big hit for your for your business because you just lost uh, however much you were spending on um, on your drugs, which tended to be a high amount, especially if you were trying to resell it for whoever. So you just lost all all that money plus money for that you would have made from it. And um, I don't know. It's it, you kinda, I know for them it really sucked. So uh, I don't know. I was always very careful. Um, I remember there were a couple times I even ordered to a vacant house. Within your tech, do you worry any of it's going to accidentally give you up or you're going to slip up somehow? Um, I was, um, because whenever um, whenever we first started out, it was more when we first started out. I feel like it's one of those things that as you do it more and more, you get more comfortable doing it. Um, it's like, a, I don't know, I can't think of a good analogy, but it's it's one of those things where if you, uh, once you, your first time doing it, you're so nervous, you wait by the door for your... Uh, for the police to come and say, "Hey, you're, you got to come with us," but then after your twentieth time doing it, it's like, "Okay, this is this is pretty, this is pretty hard for the chorus." I'm you just waiting, but I was always worried that the protections that the guy that uh, the guy I had um, that I've been paying to do this for me would fail um, or wouldn't come from or like uh, something wouldn't come up correctly. Um, so like if. I don't know exactly what protections is he used uh, off the top of my head, but like if um, I don't know for us, we were doing it through our school's Wi-Fi, but he, uh, so that was a big worry. We had the school, we had the police, we had uh, the worry of the other person not coming through. We have the worry of the website going down before um, ship before the um, shipment would come, um, and even the websites themselves. Their competitors would send uh, bot attacks to those websites. So um, you could be in the middle of placing an order and um, the website would be facing an attack and all of a sudden the website just shuts down and you have to try again in 30 minutes. But if your money had been sent, you just have to hope that that order was sent through properly. 
So um, that happened to us once. I we ended up, we ended up being able to work everything out, but that was a uh, that was an annoying time for us. And how much money were you at risk of losing? Uh, for that one in particular, I think it was around like twenty five hundred dollars. And then you talked about Snapchat, but are there other apps that you would use? Um, I used Instagram every so often. Um, Instagram was more for if it was uh, local, um, like local, uh, small, small deals. Um, I had a separate account set up. I didn't post anything on it. It was just for people who I, who I already knew. Um, and people, if they wanted to send recommendations, would have to uh, just let me know that they sent someone to that account. And then... Um, I'd accept whoever they were and be able to conduct business with them there. Did you have a separate Instagram account for this or was it just like on your main? I did. It's, uh, we've deleted it since. Um, yeah, we, we had a, a separate account for it. People would message, some people who I knew personally would message me on my main, but if, uh, that was one of those things where it's just, uh, the level of how much I knew you at the time, you could request it wherever, wherever it is, um, I knew you just because, and I, I turned down as few money making opportunities as possible. Uh, so I feel like that was pretty, pretty normal. But I do know that Snapchat, um, whenever I was still selling on my main account there, um, I had an account since I think middle school. And uh, that account was taken down because I think someone, another, uh, a different dealer um, at my school, uh, reported my account and then had a bunch of other people report it. And then my private story was um, taken down. It was taken, I posted and then I went and did something. I came back 30 minutes later and all of a sudden my account was locked. It was deactivated. I couldn't get into it. And so that, that was really, I, know, I lost a large part of my like immediate customer base there. So that, that one, that one hurt for a little bit, but I don't know. I also lost a bunch of memories from that one, so that one kind of sucked. How big was your customer base, do you think, at its largest? That's one of those things I don't know if I can actually answer properly. Because I know I had... I don't know, a lot of my customers weren't consistent customers. Um, I had people who would buy from me, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need to... I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm, trying, I'm going to try to stop smoking. Let me uh, not... Uh, don't make sure you don't make sure I don't buy from you for however long. I'd say okay, and I make sure they stuck to it. Uh, I, I try to sell. I, I didn't sell things that were addictive to people, um, or you know, at least not the things that were stereotypically addictive to people. So I didn't sell um, coke. I didn't. I wouldn't sell opiates. I didn't sell any of that. I sold um, more Sykes and more Sykes weed and um, uh, things like that. I sold a couple, a couple cigarettes, and I guess I could get things that people really, if you requested it multiple times, and but I would upcharge them. But my customer base at its largest. Like about how many people did you have on that Snapchat private story? On my private, I think I had, I don't know, it was taken down a while ago. Um, maybe three to 400 people. I don't know what number I was expecting, but that's larger. <laughs> yeah, it's larger than I was expecting too. So for a customer base, would you say maybe twice that many? Like the people you may have reached over time, like not not all at one time, but if you were going to capture all of the people you've ever sold drugs to and put them together, what number might that be? Um, all people I've ever sold drugs to. Because uh, I, I go to raves and I'd sell, I'd sell to people there. Um, uh, I go to concerts and uh, people, there were a lot of like uh, big, uh, big, big ways to meet people. I go to other schools and everything. So there are a lot of people added through there, but um, 
I don't know. I'd probably say maybe maybe like seven hundred people because I, I I did lose that that, that amount of people because um, like, that's that's why it's biggest. But in total, I think I probably sold to maybe around seven hundred people because I try to keep uh, repeat customers and even for even for something for something small. But I guess if you mean like drugs that I touched that have reached other people, I wouldn't be able to even estimate that because of the um, selling to dealers because they reach their own groups of people. And if I was selling someone selling someone um, a half pound or a pound, I'm sure that they were selling to someone else who was selling for them. Um, so, so you could be talking like thousands or 10,000 people or something like that. Yeah. Thinking back onto the apps that you use, I can imagine listeners who are parents thinking my teenagers are on Snapchat and Instagram make me feel better about knowing that there's a drug dealer who's out there on their same platforms and maybe wanting to sell drugs to them. Is there a way to make those parents feel better? Yes. It's, I feel that realistically, unless your child is searching for uh, these dealers, they're not going to go and be, uh, go and find them. Um, most dealers aren't super predatory like that to where they're going to reach out to a random stranger like hey i have this for you i mean because uh if you were as a dealer were to reach out to a random uh a random 12 year old all of a sudden that that uh 12 year old parents um that 12 year old's parents can be checking that phone and then uh you run then you run the risk of having everything collapse in on you because you decide to sell to that you decide to reach out to someone random who you've never met before um so that would be, I feel like that is most, is um, uh, the risk there is, the risk for them is much greater than it is, uh, than, the re- than the reward for getting your child to come and buy these, rent- these drugs from a stranger. And I feel like that kind of reflects the world before the internet as well. We're in these virtual spaces now where it feels like we have limit, limit, unlimited reach to people, but you're, as you're saying, we, there are a lot of drug dealers who might not reach out for a variety of reasons. And you may not encounter them in virtual spaces, even though they're there in the same way that in an analog world, it's, you can walk around the city and you're not going to necessarily run into somebody who's trying to sell you drugs on the corner. But if you wanted to go out and find that person, you probably could. Is that a fair way of kind of thinking of the digital and analog world when it comes to the access to drug dealers in general? Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's, uh, it's one of those things you're not going to find unless you're seeking it out. There's obviously like a few uh, cases where that's that's not the case, but for most cases, uh, I'm gonna say like 95% of cases, it's gonna be you were searching for that person. It was not the other way around. One of my big things was keeping people safe, because um, whenever I was younger, um, not super young, I was still like, I was in high school. I had a friend who uh, took something, um, and it wasn't what it wasn't what uh, they said what they said it was. Like it was laced with something. Um, and they they're they're fine now, but it was a uh, that was a, a very scary experience, and I wanted to make sure that other people didn't go through that. So I would buy and um, I buy tests for uh, for essentially everything. The only thing I didn't really test was weed, and that's because no one's really lacing weed with things. Um, I mean, you hear a couple of cases here and there, but that's not the typical experience um and so that's another reason why i didn't sell most things that were like, addictive i did i wanted people to have fun with things that they were going to have fun with uh, because people are going to do drugs regardless of what the whatever what, whatever the punishment is for being found out that you're doing drugs so i wanted to make sure people had a safe experience and so that was one of my first things when i first started 
um, and I maintained that. But as I uh, as I grew, uh, money became a bigger and bigger uh, driving factor for me. So you're just a friendly neighborhood drug dealer. Yeah, exactly. So I know not I I know nothing about at home drug tests for testing illegal drugs. What is it? What's the process like, and how expensive is the test, and what does it look like when you want to test something like MDMA? You can buy the tests online. Um, well, let me actually look at the website. I I will shout it out here just so people have a uh, good um, uh, have a good website to uh, check if they feel like um, uh, if they feel like uh, they need to. Yeah, if, if they feel like they need to test their drugs, which is something I recommend doing. Always test your drugs if you do drugs and you listen to this. So the one website that I use is what's called Bunk Police. You can buy an Elmer test through them. They sell a whole bunch of other different tests, and different tests uh, can test for different things. Um, I know that they, I believe they also sell fentanyl strips, but I'm not fully certain. Because um, I know that I, I believe fentanyl tests are illegal in Texas. Yeah, I don't think you can buy fentanyl test kits in Texas because... Uh, I guess the government doesn't want you to do your drugs safely. It is a very backwards way of thinking about drug enforcement. It's I, mean, I feel like the, that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. My thoughts on uh, the whole fentanyl epi- uh, epidemic, but yeah, it, it's a, it's not a good way. It's not a good way to stop you from doing drugs. They're going to do them regardless. Might as well make it as safe as possible. Um, but you can buy an Elric test legally. Um, there's a couple other tests that I would use for Molly, but the names of them are blanking up or uh, blanking for me now. Um, Elric was the main one that I used for Molly. There's one you can use to test your acid, and so anything that really needs to be tested, you can. I, th- I think there's one for uh, Coke. There's one for essentially every drug that you can think of. There's there's something for it. And are those things you can legitimately buy? Yes, you can buy them uh, legal, perfectly legally. You can do them through. Um, you can do it through the internet. I don't know of any stores that sell them directly, but there is um, uh, they tend to be pretty cheap too. Uh, I buy one for twenty for twenty dollars. It's like twenty dollars per test, and it comes in a vial. Maybe uh, it's a four to eight ounce vial. Um, it's for you to to, to drop it on to drop um, a drop of the the test onto it. You do you usually do it on a white plate um, or any kind of white like the uh, surface, you can see the color change. And you take a little bit of your drug. I would take it from different portions of the bag. That way it would, um, that way I could test the whole, a whole bunch of different areas at the same time. Uh, Cause I don't know, I guess some people could possibly put a small portion of whatever it is you're looking for, whatever it is you want on top. If I had multiple bags, I'd take a small portion of each bag after mixing it up. Um, and then I'd, I'd lay it out um, onto the table, lay it onto the plate cause I use a plate personally. And um, I would drop, however, I'd drop uh, one or two drops on each, uh, each portion to test it. I uh, have the uh, the color change sheet pulled up uh, next to next to it, and I watch for the next. I think it's forty five, thirty to forty five seconds. You're supposed to wait to watch the color change, and watching how the color changes is important to make sure that your meth isn't Molly. And so your Molly isn't meth. And then just um, one last quick follow up on on this. Did you learn um, this from someone, or where did this technique come from? Um, I've always been obsessed with making sure that my drugs aren't laced with anything. So I, I read on uh, Reddit, actually, a couple of uh, stories about, um, uh, a couple of stories about like, oh, how do I know that these drugs are safe? And so if you're on those, uh, subreddits for more than, I'd say a week, you'd see at least five people asking, uh, with just a picture of a pill, is this legitimate? 
And obviously, you can't tell just from a picture. If you could tell just from looking at the drugs, then people wouldn't be taking drugs that weren't what they said what they said they were. So you can't tell just from looking at them. And so if you like, uh, if you take a picture of it, um, you, sorry, you don't take a picture of it. If you um, they, they if you go onto those uh, subreddits, it would show you how to. They they like tell you how to do it or where to go to buy them and uh, just make sure you were safe while doing your drugs. So I was recommend I always recommended people to buy tests even for the things that I sold them. That was always one of my number one recommendations. I would say make sure you always test your drugs. Uh, make sure everything's good. Did you ever receive laced drugs? Uh, no, I didn't. I was uh, people. I don't know. The internet was pretty. It was pretty helpful for that because if anything was laced, uh, the reviews would say, "Hey, this is I received." What they said was mal. What they said was mal. It was actually math. So uh, I would stay away from the ones that said that. Are there like customer service lines for these online drugstores? Because like, if you have a complaint, like, do you just like call them up and be like, "This is math." I would. <laughs> that would have been uh, really convenient, especially for uh, a couple of times where I had to get my money refunded because they forgot to send the order. Forgot. Yeah, they. I don't know. That's the thing. I feel like they actually realistically forgot i i wonder how many orders they get in a day um and since it's not a regulated a regulated business i feel like there's a good chance they actually forgot i was just commenting on like if there's a customer service line for you to like file your complaints or like who do you message or call up when something doesn't go well with your ebay of drugs yeah that's more of a um you just kind of leave a public complaint about it and people they'll lose business as a result of your of your um as a result of your complaint, and uh, they don't want that. So usually they'll try to remedy it in some way, or uh, I never had any kind of issue with it, so I don't know exactly what it is they did. But we stayed away from ones that said, hey, this isn't good. They ordered this and less than they said they would, uh, any kind of issue. But um, yeah, it's like a, I don't know, the public, public the, the court of public eye, I guess. It sounds like you're kind of not super in the game anymore, but if you were to start selling drugs actively again, um, what technology would you incorporate now that you didn't use before? Uh, I would probably start a Telegram as opposed to, start a Telegram channel as opposed to um, a Snapchat or Instagram or any of that, because that's good while you're, while you're small. But uh, Telegram is great for growing your business. You can reach a whole whole new groups of people. I, I have stopped selling since. I have uh, things that will get messed up if I... Uh, do start uh, slaying again. I mean, I guess I could, but the risk of getting caught kind of goes up as you, the longer you do it. What's Telegram? Telegram is a uh, uh, an app with end-to-end encryption. So uh, it's, I don't know, it's really, it's a very privacy-focused app. Um, some of my dealers would use it, and I saw, uh, I had one dealer that had um, a couple thousand people in there. And so, yeah, I feel like that that one was really interesting. So I imagine it's like uh, uh, only you can post or only you and the people that you allow to post can. Um, you can choose who all is allowed into a certain group. People can only join via invitation um, unless you have a, like, a public group that's publicly searchable. But no one does that unless you're a legitimate group. Telegram is a, uh, it's a pretty solid app uh, that's good for this based around privacy. Yeah, when I think of Telegram, I think of Signal. And then I think of journalists who use it to kind of protect privacy with sources and things like that. I hadn't ever considered that it could be used in this way as well, but it totally makes sense to me. Yeah, it's a it's 
it's definitely one of the more popular ones. I, I think I, I haven't heard of people using Signal before, but I have heard of the app. So drugs are one thing that secretly lived inside of your technology. Do you have any other secrets you're willing to share with us? None off the top of my head, but I'll I'll uh, I'd love to uh, come back at some point if I can think of any. Marcus, you've been great. Thank you so much for your time today. I have learned a ton about a world that I sometimes get little glimpses into, but you really illuminated what it looks like. And then to know how drugs are are being bought and sold and what it, it's like to be someone like you who's dealing them using the internet, using technology, using apps. Uh, it's just fascinating. So I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. The Secret Life of Tech is written, edited, and hosted by me, Eric Anktel. I co-produce the show with Dagny Bataglino. The Secret Life of Tech is more than a podcast. It's a media project and movement. Visit thesecretlifeoftech.com and leave a voice message or submit a written secret of your own. No matter how you share, we promise to keep you anonymous if you ask. You are what make this our show. Share your secrets. Listen, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Because all around our tech, there is a world of secrets just waiting to be told.